I will never put a before and after picture up on Instagram. Testosterone is not the super hormone to worry about. Male infertility is rising faster than female infertility. I learn so much from my patients about life. What are you doing at 2 a.m. on your phone, looking through Instagram, scrolling TikTok? You're not getting into deep restorative REM sleep. Your body's not repairing itself. For me, the first thing, there's a little bit of gender confusion. So women are earning just as much as men. How can one skincare formula work for everyone? We age from the skull. We don't age from the skin. The skull resorbs. You've been taught to demonize fat, but really fat is actually where you get your energy source. What is the outcome? How do we get there? What's the next step? The emotional resilience is there. Men don't have a place to be go and be vulnerable as much as women. Does sugar also lead to cancer? First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now. Whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremover.com. And we are back and we are here today with the wonderful, the legend, the celebrity dermatologist, global dermatologist, because I must get that in there, and international sensation, Dr. Valley. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Frankie. Look, I wanted to give you a short intro because there's so much to you that is just so difficult to explain. And if I don't explain it in the right uh, context, I'm sure you're going to look at me across the room and give me those eyes that you give me where, you know, Frankie, you've done something <laughs> wrong, so we're going to have to start this again. So, but welcome. Um, obviously, it's a beautiful place we're here in London. Yeah. I kind of want to give people an insight today into all the biohacking stuff that you do and give them an insight into all the dermatology stuff. I think a lot of men and women perhaps don't talk about it and kind of uncover a lot of stuff and unpack a lot of stuff because you've definitely done that for me. I think the best place for us to start is obviously start with how you got into dermatology and all this kind of stuff that you, you do because obviously you've had a illustrious career. But obviously you started in the NHS. I just want to kind of unpack that. You're making me sound like I'm a centurion. <laughs> <laughs> like decades of experience. Um, I've been a doctor for 18 years and initially, and it was interesting, um, I actually, for my A-levels, do you remember A-levels? Yeah, A-levels, I do, yeah, yeah, A-levels. I do, but I didn't do them. You know, I did GCSEs. Yeah, so GCSEs, <laughs> and then you came to choosing your A-levels. And then I picked, I picked classics, classical civilization, Latin, and history as my A-levels. And the day before, the great aunt in my family came round, and her son was the first doctor in the family. And, you know, my parents had to hold four jobs down to put me through private school and stuff like that. She said, you're going to do biology, chemistry, physics, and maths, and you're going to be a doctor. That was the start of my career. <laughs> so so this, this is a great um, place to start, actually, because yeah. obviously, with, with coming from an ethnic background, growing up in the UK, there's a lot of press, pressure on doing like academical stuff, like, you know, doctors, nurses, uh, accountancy, everything like that. So just kind of give me, give me a brief understanding of what that's kind of like and, and, those kind of, and what that kind of pressure feels like for a young woman in that kind of family. I think for me, um, my parents came here in the 70s. They came with minimally nothing, basically. And for me, education for them was a route out. And, you know, they weren't empowered in that way. So for me, my parents were like, we're going to educate our children. We're going to be the first. I was the first in my whole community to go to private school. And then with that pressure, I had to get the grades. It wasn't an option. The TV wires would be cut. The plug sockets would be taken out. I had to get A grades. 
my mum would go and argue with the teachers and say, why have you predicted her B grade? I'll make sure she gets an A grade, right? So I had no option. And actually, I'm so thankful for that discipline today. Because when you're younger, you're just like, oh, my God, mum. Oh, here she goes again. Oh, dad's going to tell me off now. But if I didn't have that discipline and I didn't have my parents put so much pressure on me to say that, well, if she can do it and if he can do it, why can't you, right? You don't need to come from a privileged background. If you work hard enough, you can create your own destiny and you can create your own future. We've invested in you. We've kept three to four jobs down to fund your education. We need you to have a backbone as a female. We don't want you to rely on a man either in your culture. So I want you to be independent, like my father would say to me. So at that time, I was super, super like, oh, my God, I have to get like... 10 A stars and da 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 and I've got to keep studying. And, you know, I was that chubby child with a moustache and everything with braces, just studying away completely. I had a bit of a creative side. Like I said, the A-levels I wanted to do were Latin, art, classics, history. I loved it. But I was like, okay, cool. It was whatever they said. Get A-grades. Okay, we'll get A-grades. Study medicine. Okay, I'll study medicine. There wasn't an option of failure. So you, you, they kind of predetermined your destiny for you and then you executed the plan that they'd already put together is essentially what, what kind of happened. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is, and what I laugh about is because my, my baby brother's a doctor too, right? So we both laugh that even though they gave us the foundation in saying study medicine, have a career to fall back on, but then evolve yourself. The day I said to my dad, I want to leave the NHS and I want to open a business, and I'm thinking of, my dad's an entrepreneur, right? I'm thinking of opening a business in X, Y, Z. He's like, excellent, I've given you a career to fall back on. Off you go. I said, Dad, can I have some money? He said, no. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so their mentality entirely was like to set you up in a, in a foundational job kind of environment so that you've always got a high paid job to fall back on, yeah. which is your doctorship and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then he wanted you to get to the point where you're like, do you know what? I just, I don't want to earn a wage anymore. I don't want to do the NHS route anymore. I want to step into entrepreneurship. Yeah. But let's kind of touch upon your, your route to success and then coming out of the NHS. Because obviously being in the NHS, quite a rewarding job, but very tiring, I presume. Very um, over leveraged in terms of your capacity, I, I presume as well. Like, Give me a bit of an insight into what it's like doing that. I think studying medicine and I think having that discipline really sets you up in life full stop. And I think then being thrown onto a ward where you're a junior doctor, and at that time the European working time derivative wasn't even in there. We were doing like 18-hour shifts. We weren't protected the way we are protected today. And having that, and at that time you're just like, okay, well, I have to do it. If I don't do it, the patient will die. I, you know, there was no option. There was no, there was no fallback. It's laid on you. You had 18 patients on a ward and then another ward and you were on call and the on-call was overnight and then the next day you're going and you had seven working night shifts in a row and you, you, you're in jet lag mode the whole time. You didn't know any different and I'm glad I didn't because I wasn't dis- social media wasn't around there either. You weren't distracted by any external forces. You have a career set in the NHS. It's quite a long-standing career, but you know, five to seven years of a degree. You can get two to three degrees out of that. So you can have your MBBS, your medical degree, you can get a BSc, you can get a PhD on top of it as well. Then on top of it, there's like seven to ten years of postgraduate training to get you to consultancy. So it's a very long career, but what it does is it sets you up with the discipline and it sets you up with the 
the brain exercise and the knowledge. And for me, it set me up working under pressure. So it gave me really good barrier in resilience. So for me now, I don't see anything as obstructive. I'm like, okay, what's the outcome? What's the solution? It's very pragmatic. And even when I go through medical problems myself, I don't say, oh, poor me. It's more pragmatism. It's more like, okay, what is the outcome? How do we get there? What's the next step? The emotional resilience is there. And I think that's what the NHS gives you. It gives you emotional resilience. It allows you to be very pragmatic. And it sets you up with discipline. But I think what's lacking a little bit in society today is compassion and empathy. And I think the NHS, that career, allows you to have compassion and empathy. Because we're, so, we're in such a dopamine-driven society, where have hit a like, subscribe, blah, 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 that you lose compassion and empathy for someone who's struggling. Or you can just, you know, how is your day? How are you feeling? And the NHS trains you for that. It allows you for empathy, which most career path finance doesn't, accountancy doesn't, lawyers don't. You know, you, you, most career paths don't allow you for empathy or compassion. So all of these factors combined have given me a really nice baseline of them moving on to the next step. I think the most beautiful part of that as well is not just the empathy part. I think the part where you mentioned about how you dedicate yourself to your job, I think, I think that's the key step to entrepreneurship is to, if you're in a job right now and you're listening to this, is to kind of like, you know, start to dedicate yourself to your craft, to your job, whatever it is, put everything into that job, even if you don't particularly enjoy that job, because that that is the lesson you're being taught there the lesson is that you can apply that to entrepreneurship because every part of entrepreneurship is like well you know you're gonna have some great days which i'm sure you'll touch upon but then there's lots of days where you're working probably 20 hours a day that no one sees because they just see the glossy dr valley the celebrity brand type type concept but they don't quite understand what goes into building that would you say that's in essence true I think entrepreneurship is a roller coaster, as you know. It's up and down, and a lot of people just play the ups on social media. It's a very edited platform. And I find, you know, the most insecure people are the people that seem the most happiest on social media. I think, for me, the roller coaster of entrepreneurship it hasn't been so hard because I can walk in a room and say, okay, we disagree on X and Y, but. What is your thought? I, I can understand, go behind the ego and try and understand with compassion why you disagree with me instead of me fighting your ego. I can say, okay, if he was a patient of mine, I love doing this exercise. If he was a patient of mine, what is he trying to tell me? Why can I not understand? Let me step in his shoes. What is he trying to tell me? And that exercise comes from being a doctor and medicine and having compassion and empathy. So could you expand on that then for the audience and just to just give them a real proven process of how they can um, kind of see the other side of the, the coin with these people so that they can put this in their daily practice so they can implement it in their life? Yeah, so for example, when you have a consultation, so just to give you a little bit of context, baby context, so what do I do? I'm a dermatologist and a biohacker, okay? So I thicken your hair, I give you makeup-free skin or perfect skin, no acne, no rosacea, no pigmentation. I contour your face, so I lift it or whatever it is. I contour your body to suit your ethnicity, your heritage, your origin. And then on the inside, I optimize your mood, your sleep, your performance, your concentration. I then work on your gut health, your fertility, your libido, your energy, your immune system. So we work in a 360 manner. But actually, we work on the inside first before we work on the outside, I spend about an hour and 15 minutes in a consultation trying to understand you. 
and trying to understand what is your outputs, phase one, phase two, phase three, fine, you want to look fresh. I understand that. You don't want to have any acne breakout. You want thick hair. Easy. I can do that with my eyes closed. Actually, on the inside, what's driving that? Are you in the public eye? Are you having panic attacks? Do you have low mood? Have you been on antidepressants? Can you even sleep at night to get into deep restorative REM sleep where your body's healing itself? That's what I'm more concerned about. Okay, you're telling me you have gut health issues. You're craving sugar. You're putting on weight easily. Your libido's gone a little bit. Do you have adrenal fatigue? What's happening on the inside that's forcing you to come to me on the outside? What are you doing at 2 a.m. on your phone, looking through Instagram, scrolling TikTok? Comparing yourself to other people. Comparing yourself to the unobtainable because these are all edited things. This is all a solicited channel that is not real life. And you know, where are these insecurities coming from? So let's work on that first before we work on the outside. Because whatever I do on the outside, I can do it like that. But if on the inside you're still having anxiety, and I always the phrase I use is there's no point in me putting shit in your face if your cover is dirty. Right? So in the same way in your body, I have to look at where is the anxiety coming from? Why aren't you sleeping? Why are you run down? Why are you, what is wrong with your energy? You're 27 years old. Why do you have energy flux? Okay. And what's your key thing you, you find in that's coming from? I think it's different. So it depends what stage of life you're in. So I think whether you're male or female, I think there's so many things that, that contribute today. So for me, the first thing, there's a little bit of gender confusion. So women are earning just as much as men. So traditionally, men used to be hunter-gatherers, protector-providers, and now women, are, you know, on an equal level are coming up to that where a lot of female entrepreneurs are doing well. So firstly, men don't have a place to be go and be vulnerable as much as women. And it's, what's really funny is when you come for a consultation, a female patient will criticize her. I don't even need to say anything. She literally will say, my hair, my face, my skin, my body, da-da-da-da, like literally list things out. You know, I've just given birth and I need to be this skinny. The amount of pressure a female puts on herself, whereas a man will just come in and be like, I don't know, I just need to look fresh. But can I, am I safe to even talk to you about it? And then they will open up slowly because they don't have that place of vulnerability at all. So they, I feel like there's a difference happening because men are, there's a little bit of confusion of where do we stand because women are becoming a lot more empowered than they used to be. There's a cultural shift. There's an economic shift. And, there's, and it's great. We're all evolving as humans should evolve. But then we also have to have empathy for each other whilst that's happening. We shouldn't be so demanding on you guys. And you guys shouldn't be so demanding on us either, if that makes sense. So what do you think then that men and women can do for each other in order to be more empathetic then? Like I said, it all comes down to compassion and understanding. Put yourself in their shoes. Yep. and understand where they come from. And and rather than point, you know, they always say when you yeah. point one finger... Six are pointing back at you. Like, well, I've got three. <laughs> so three are pointing back at you. So work on yourself first before you go and point a finger somewhere else. Yeah. And I think that's that's the first thing that's key. And, you know, everyone always says communication, communication, communication is key, but tone of voice, the communication, the manner you're communicating with, your your body language... Yeah, I'm just going to try and explain something to you. It's very intimidating to come and see a doctor, right? We've created a brand where you've got cartoon characters, you've got, you know, hip-hop and R&B playing, music playing, you know, 
super hip, super cool. You've got a mushroom biohacking bar. You've got a DJ booth in my other place. You know, we've created a brand like that because we're trying to take your defense away. But the first thing I actually do when I come in the room, I actually open up with my own vulnerability and my own, like, hey, superstar. So I've been a doctor for 18 years. I'm educated at UCLA, King's College London, board certified twice, multiple degrees, but... You didn't, most people don't care about my degrees. They're always just looking at my face of what I've had done or anything like that. They're judging me on the outside, right? And then I said again, this is what I've been through in life. As soon as I tell them a little bit of my story, the vulnerability comes in the room because they're looking at me. Like you said, you know, it's all glossy on Instagram. It's all glossy in editorials. But as soon as my vulnerability comes in the room, you feel like actually she's human as well. And I learned, frankly, the same way you learn from the people you interview. I learned so much from my patients about life, like the life stories that I learn. You know, for me, I can go to my patients. Like, for example, I'd be like, "Listen, I've gone through rounds of IVF. It's difficult." And Dr. Wally, I've went through this. This is what my body went through. Okay, that makes sense. Or you know, I'm recently married, and this, this is what this is the relationship. This is what's happening. Oh my God! Yeah, wait till you get to this year, this stage. So. It's a really nice place for you to get life lessons. I'm, I'm in a really privileged position to be able to obtain life advice like that. So what was one of these key vulnerabilities that kind of drove you to kind of want to set this up and help other people through their vulnerabilities? So initially, so the NHS is great. It set me up. It gave me discipline. And then what I was doing, I was working seven days a week. And I was, a, so this is really funny. So I'm not super bright. I'm not bright at all. I am someone who has to work, study 18 hours a day. And I have to really, really study. And I've learned how to study well. I've learned how to train my brain properly in terms of neurofeedback, in terms of activating my alpha waves and my beta waves. I've learned how to train my brain. So in the NHS, you get exam, you know, there's an appraisal system every year. You're, you know, you're doing extra degrees and stuff like that. So even for one of my exit exams my consultancy exams I've never been the peak I've never been the top I've always been cruise control you know just got through and I think that's key that's one of the first things I tell my nieces I'm like you don't need to be top at everything because the day you fail you won't be able to climb back up you need to you need to give it 150% when you need to give it 150% but then you just need to cruise through a few things don't burn out okay so so, so what was funny was, I think for one of my consultancy exams, my medical exams, I got a distinction. Yeah, And I was getting on the plane for the first time to Dubai. It was my first trip to Dubai. Uh, and then it was, I had a Blackberry at the time. And then all of my friends, all medical friends were messaging me. They're like, are you sure your surname is Vali? Are you sure your surname is Schwan? Are your first name Schwan? I'm like, yeah, why? Did I pass? Did I pass? They're like, yeah, you got a distinction. I was like, don't be stupid. Did I pass? Right. And then, then we, we had to take off. No one told me anything. For seven hours, I'm on a flight going, did I pass? Did I pass? I land and I get inundated with messages saying congratulations. Right? So for me, I've learned that I have to give 150% sometimes and I can cruise at 70% sometimes. And it's important not to burn out, to save that energy for things that are important. So that's, that's, that's one of the first things I've learned. Then... In terms of coming to building my own brand and my own thing, it was more, okay, I have the discipline, I have the knowledge, I want to teach, like I've got a master's in medical education, so I like teaching. 
So like, I want to teach Frankie what he can do and I want to teach him in the right way. And I like to teach in what I say layman's terminology. So I, yeah, I can throw you medical and anatomical words and I can throw you, you know, words that you won't understand. But I like to teach you in a way that you're empowered and you, and you see that in the consultation that you're empowered and you understand why this hormone is doing this or why your brain is doing this or why your body is behaving in this way or why your mood is going up and down with your cortisol. So then I said, okay, let me open my own brand. And I started with aesthetics and dermatology. I knocked on everyone's door in the UK. I said, can you help me? And everyone said, no, just start yourself. All the top doctors at the time. And you just start yourself. I said, what does this mean? So I went and I went to the US, retrained. And then in the US and UCLA, I got a professorship for um, teaching. And then what happened there is I was like, Tom Ford has a brand. And he's like, a, you know, he's Tom Ford. If Tom Ford can have a brand, I can have a brand too. I didn't know what VC backing was, what P meant, private equity funding. I didn't know any of these things. I didn't even know what P&L was. You know, anything financial at all, I'm a doctor. So I came back, I said, I'm going to start a brand. I think I spent thirty to £40,000 on my first website, and I was still in the NHS working seven days a week at night. And what I did is that on one Saturday or Sunday, I looked around me, and it was, a, and it was about 9 or 10 p.m., and there were like 60 to 70-year-old doctors. All for, and it's interesting you mentioned, you know, from your culture and your ethnicity, all from ethnic backgrounds, working. And I went to them and said, why are you working? You're like nearly 70 and you're here doing a late shift, extra money. What do you need that for? And I, Shwana, I need to pay my son's university fees. Or I need, you know, I've got mortgages to pay for. And it was at that time going, I don't want to be 70, relying on an NHS salary, working seven days a week. And that was the light bulb moment when I said, okay, I need to, I need to do a U-turn and figure another source of income. What was the what was the kind of runway though that you put on yourself? You know, from going obviously you decide you want to pivot. You decide, okay, I can't work this job anymore. I don't. I, I, I no longer want that. I don't. I'm looking at my future on the ward, and that doesn't serve me. But what was what kind of roadmap did you kind of lay? Did you lay yourself out like twelve months to transition from job into business? Uh, or, it was so hard. And I think everyone will tell you initially it's so hard because you're like, you've got a backup plan that's providing you with regular income. Why am I going to give that up? Yeah. So you found it real hard to cut the tires. Yeah, you've got to have gumption and you've got to really believe in yourself. And also you've got to believe in a higher force or energy that something else is written for you, right? Mm. I mean, the day I quit the NHS is the day when I had a patient swear at me aggressively and lock me in a room. And I was I'm done. I'm literally done. I was in my early 30s. I'm like, I am tired. I'm done. I refused to sign a sick note for them because they were well. They were well enough to work. And, you know, I was just sworn out, shouted out, locked in a room, being abused. I like, I'm not coming back to the NHS because no one really protects you because it's a massive organisation, right? I think now they've put a zero tolerance policy in. But when a patient locks you in the room, what can you do? Yeah. But there was no runway. I'm, you know, anyone can make business plans and everyone will tell you this, that oh, my business plan, you know, year one projection, year five projection, then I'm going to sell it off and then I'm going to IPO. I've learned, Frankie, in the last decade that whatever I've said I'm going to do, I've gone and done the opposite. You evolve, you change, you adapt, you're resilient, you move where the environment moves. And you have to have that, otherwise it doesn't work. I think you also need to 
have the run of the cloth as well in terms of like the way that the way the world's moving at the time as well like you can have you can have you can set yourself out a goal for like this is what I want to achieve in five years yeah. but does it really matter if you achieve it in seven or you could achieve it in three like you know you don't have to what I find is people are putting these rigid frameworks around attainment in their in their mindset and then they're going in the relentless pursuit of attaining this final destination but when they get to this final destination that they think they're going to get to they realize their ladder's been leaning against the wrong wall is that kind of how you felt along your journey i so you know you have people that you should celebrate the milestones you should enjoy the journey you should enjoy the pathway i've never known to do that <laughs> so and i'm not i'm not sitting here going you know i'm looking at the next step i just look at the next day the next week and the next month Obviously, there's a bigger mind goal at the end in my brain. But if I focus on the end goal, I've learned historically that the goal changes anyway. So for me, it's like, how do I optimize myself and not burn out? Yeah. And not set myself in a rigid framework that I have longevity in what I do. And am I enjoying it? Because if I'm not enjoying it, remember, I'm in service. I'm with patients. And yes, I do product as well, but I'm with patients. If I'm not enjoying it, that is a reflection in the consultation and in my in my outcomes as well. You said you said back before that there was a way that you kind of optimized your brain to retain information and yeah. and and educate yourself on different wave patterns to be able to retain information. Yeah. Just uh, how can how could I do that? So, I've had burnout twice in my career, and I think people openly talk about burnout now or mental health and mental resilience. Prior to before, before it was like frowned upon, especially in the NHS. It's like, how can you have burnout? You've seen patients, how dare you? So, and even like in finance, you can't have burnout, like that kind of thing. There's no such thing. But I think it's a lot more accepted now, especially post COVID and the mental health crisis that we're having and the immune crisis that we had. So, that's what biohacking is really good for, and it's going to become mainstream soon. So, biohacking or optimal health, biohacking is when you use your cells to hack you to give you an output that you want so i'll give you an example pretend i'm male and we both went to the gp and you said you know what i'm not sleeping i'm not sleeping my mood is a little bit down i'm irritated my energy is low i'm not feeling well Uh, can you just do a blood test can you just tell me if anything's wrong with my thyroid my iron level anything like that the gp does a blood test and the blood results come back and they're normal for you and they're normal for me but how is that possible? You're ethnically different to me. Your microbiome and your gut health is different to mine. Your diet is different. Your epigenetics and genetics are different. Your lifestyle is different to mine. Your hormonal profile is different to mine, right? How are we both sitting in the same bell curve or normal distribution for that blood test? And what is normal? Who predicted normal? Biohacking is optimal. So, for example... Athletes will take their mitochondria, the energy factories, and they will use them at 140% efficiency. And the general public will use it at 60 to 70% efficiency. So that's biohacking. And you can see a lot of it's happening naturally. You see it on Instagram, people are sitting in ice baths. I don't know if you do. <laughs> yeah, I've done quite a fair few of them, yeah. Yeah, so people are sitting in ice baths. You've got cryo chambers, you've got hyperbaric chambers, okay? You've got people doing IVs, IVNAD, people are walking around with an aura ring, they're measuring their quality of sleep. Is it in deep restorative REM sleep? Am I repairing my body or am I in very light sleep? You've got 
Elon Musk coming out saying, I'm on Wigovi, a Zempic, two milligrams to hack my metabolism. I'm work, I'm sleeping four hours a night, but I'm optimal. You've got, you've got that gentleman at the moment, I think I can't remember his name, Brian or something, who's optimizing his whole body. Yeah, 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 Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson, who's optimizing his whole body aesthetically and also internally. So, you know, his telomere or his life expectancy is in, he's trying to get it to increase. And he wants, at 70, he still wants to be optimized and performing at it like a 21-year-old. So I think this area of medicine or optimal health is going to be mainstream in about five to seven years. And this is what we do. So we call it biohacking. And we say, okay, at home, you might be, you might have a gratitude journal. You might be meditating. You might be walking your 10,000 steps. You might have an aura ring. You might be seeing an ice bath. That's just general biohacking. And all of this has been proven. Everything we do is evidence-based in terms of evidence-based medicine. All of this has been proven to engage your parasympathetic system. And then we've got moderate biohacking and advanced biohacking. Moderate biohacking, we can do infrared sauna. You're doing it in the gym, so you get muscle recovery, get the red light for your mood. You get your ATP, your mitochondria, using the ATP energy, optimized as well. The inflammation goes down. You've got hyperbaric chamber. In the hyperbaric chamber, it's, it's pumping high-pressured, pure oxygen. Normal oxygen is 21%. Pure oxygen at 90% plus, going into your microcirculation, your blood vessels, Feeding the end organs much better. If you're feeding the end organs much better, then the output is better. You concentrate, you perform, you sleep, your energy, your body repairs. You've got IV laser, does the same. You've got IV ozone, which is dialysis of your blood. So it takes your blood, it takes the oxygen molecule, which is normally two oxygen. It puts a third one in, so ozone. So now you've got superpowered oxygen going through your blood. So now your blood is micro-proliferating, it's causing new vessels, it's feeding the end organs even better, so you're optimizing your output, okay? We've got prescription-grade IVs. I don't do the IVs where you're drunk and you just put it in and you're partying the next day, we do prescription-grade stuff. You've got people like Brian who are taking 40 to 100 supplements a day. (laughs) Who can swallow that? No one can swallow that, right? And then you've got advanced-level biohacking where it's exogenous or endogenous, exogenous is where I can use external things like hormones to hack you. And endogenous is where you say to me, Dr. Vali, or stem cells, or endogenous is where you say to me, Dr. Vali, I'd like to be natural. I want to rework and I want to get the fire up burning in the fireplace. I want my testosterone up again. How can you do it without me taking external hormones? So there's so many advanced, so many different regions you can go into, but it's what you're comfortable with first. Let's talk about men's libido because that's a topic that I think not many men are openly chatting about right now. And obviously, look, I when I was in Dubai a couple of months ago, I had my my testosterone and I got good good free testosterone levels um, available. But also, as a as, as a thirty five year old male, you, you think to yourself, you know, good and optimal. That's that's two different things. You can still increase it. So I was thinking to myself, well. You, that leaves you open to being able to you can take these external forms of testosterone there's a lot of these companies now that you see on instagram and stuff like that where they're advertising this uh testosterone replacement trt all that all that stuff mm. give me a bit of an insight because a lot of men, that's where a lot of men would probably that where they'd want to focus is like increasing their libido and also their and their sleep i think are two things that men would probably optimize for first yeah so give us a give me a bit of a give me a bit of an insight into this trt and and, so and the way to do it yeah so let's step back a little bit let's talk about how you got there in the first place right so 
we are wired and tired and we're running on empty at the moment. We're multi-hyphenates. We're all trying to do a lot more than we've ever done historically before our ancestors or anything like that. So we're not resting enough. We're not resting enough. We are putting so much pressure on ourselves than we've ever done before, right? We're carrying multiple roles than we've ever carried before. So we're wired and tired and running on empty. So all day long, there's something called cortisol, which is a stress hormone response. Yep. The adrenals sit behind your, on top of your kidneys, right? All day long... Your adrenals don't know if you've broken a nail, you've missed an important meeting, or you're having a, you've had a bereavement. It, they don't know the difference. So all day long, the adrenals are secreting. And then you get a negative feedback, and it causes the adrenals to fatigue. Okay, and The adrenals fatigue. And then what happens? What do the adrenals also produce? Sex hormones. So if one hormone is out of whack, other hormones are out of whack, because you have a symphony. Everything right. has to be balanced. So what do you present with? Low mood, irritability, poor sleep, craving sugar. And this is because of low testosterone? No, this is because of cortisol and the life we're living at the moment. I'm going to come to the low testosterone. The, the side effects of the adrenals not producing the testosterone is that your libido goes down. Because obviously you need the rest to be able to produce the testosterone, the free testosterone needed to, to give you the mood to enhance everything in your body, right? To repair yourself with growth hormone at night. So if you're not getting into deep restorative REM sleep, your body's not repairing itself. Right. Right. So that's the first part. The second part is what, why do men not talk about it? Because you're not given the vulnerability or the space to talk about it. Women openly speak about my periods, my menstrual cycle, my IVF, I'm worried, I'm not married, I need to have children. You know, we openly talk about this stuff. You guys don't openly talk about, you know, I'm 35 and I haven't had children yet. Do you think I'm going to have a problem? Because it's never said that the problem is the man. It's always presumed that the problem is the woman. That the yeah, problem yeah, yeah. is the woman. Right, that okay. Infertility is in the woman. But actually, male infertility is on the rise at a super speed level because environment, lifestyle, epigenetics, external things that you're taking, all the pressures that you've put on yourself. So actually, what, we're, what, what you're finding in the fertility clinics is that male infertility is rising faster than female infertility. And that's why we say, you know, when you come in for a consultation, we're like, have you had anything tested? Oh, no, I'll be fine, don't worry. It's a taboo for you guys. It's a taboo for you to even talk about that your libido is going down. When I've got that, when I've got that CEO of a hedge fund, and he's like, Dr. Vali, I can only have three to four hours sleep. I need to perform. The markets are open 24 hours a day. Okay, but at the moment, my wife thinks I'm having an affair, I'm exhausted, I'm running on empty, what can you do? I'm like, let's hack you. You need to perform at 140% of only four hours of sleep, let's get you into deep restorative area and sleep. Is that even possible though? It's it, possible. Really? Yeah, but it's exogenous and endogenous stuff, it's more advanced biohacking. But it's, it's not supplementation or taking 15 supplements and going on a functional medicine route, it's not that, it's evidence-based medicine. Okay, so... It's, and then if I get your cortisol down, your sex hormones go up. So your libido comes back up. Let's, yeah. let's so, 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 so take it a step back so that people can apply it right yeah. now. So if I, if, I, if I said to you, okay, how can every man in this audience yeah. go and lower their cortisol so that their libido goes up? Like in the simplest form possible, what would you say to them? So the, the low level biohacking that I talked about, what you can do at home. So get your parasympathetic system engaged. Meditation, 
exercise, your deep restorative sleep, take the blue light away, put the phone away, last meal before 7 p.m., your ice baths, because your ice baths literally activate your sympathetic system, so it wakes you up like this, right? So all the things that you can do at home yourself. Because you, your libido is also your drive for business, isn't it? It's also your drive for other things as well. Don't you agree? No. Really? Do, you, do you not think? Really? I think so, yeah. I think it affects every, I think it affects way more areas than just... just you know, the crudest part, which is obviously sexual in relationships. Yeah. I think you should drive as well, as a man. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I can't answer that because I'm not a man. <laughs> but, 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 okay, so what So what? What does drive men then? Like what, what, so if it's, so I think it's, perfor- there's, there's I think be it's a- performance. Uh, obviously. Not libido. I think it's performance overall. But if you're, if you've got low test. Yeah. You, you perform shit in the gym. No. Low testosterone isn't associated with your performance at work. Hold on, yeah. I just want to get this clear, yeah. because I, I because I I imagine that other people listening to this may be struggling on the same point, and I just want to clarify it for my own self. But it, I know if I've got higher test, yeah. I go to the boxing gym. Yeah, I'm I'm more aggressive. I can perform. I can go longer rounds, and I just know that in my life. If yeah. my test is, is is flying and I'm energized and I'm not eating stuff that brings like if i'm not eating soy and all that crap that brings your test down and all that rubbish promotes estrogen yeah maybe. promotes estrogen yeah. all that stuff if i've done everything right yeah. i go to the gym i'm flying yeah. if i'm flying in the gym yeah. i go to i go to my work or my business or this and the other and i'm performing now yeah. so i think it so i just want to say to you yeah. i think it has a massive effect your testosterone levels on your business as a man but if you're taking exogenous testosterone I wasn't. No, but if you're taking exogenous, yeah, okay. you mentioned the supplements. If you're taking exogenous testosterone that's unmonitored, right, that okay. you know, you've taken a supplement with other filler, unnatural things in it, because most supplements have unnatural things in it, right? Yeah. And you're taking exogenous supplements. Remember what I said about the symphony? When one hormone is out of whack, it affects other hormones. Right. So, right? What, so what, is the, what is the problem then with raising your test too high for a man? Yeah. It can have detrimental side effects. You can lose your hair, right? There are other things that can happen. It can actually, so in in fertility, if you think taking testosterone supplementation will improve your fertility, you're actually wrong. It can reduce your sperm count. So it can, that's why I'm saying there's a negative feedback in hormonal control. Like I said about cortisol, if it's too high, it causes a negative feedback and suppression. And what you end up doing is you end up closing down your own endogenous supply, your own natural supply. Yeah, because I've had friends that have come off this... uh, Remember the anger as well. I've had friends that have have, um, not measured the way that that you're saying, and they've increased their test too much. They've got the anger issues, they've got this, they're they're flying in other areas of life. The acne, they've got everything. But but then it it puts everything else out of whack, which means that because you've now got too much test in your system, you cannot concentrate, you cannot sit down because you're thinking about other external stuff, and now you're not performing in business. So there is a positive. So how can a man and how... How can they get the balance then? But is testosterone is not the super testosterone is not the super hormone to worry about. So what is growth hormone? Okay, growth hormone is like the coke, the crack of the biohacking world. It's illegal to take. You know, you've got people you've got people taking it off the street and injecting themselves so they're pumping up. But growth hormone is the elixir of youth. 
At right. night, it's actually growth hormone that repairs your body. So if a man, so if a man was going to take anything, then he should be taking growth hormone. I'm not, not going to be an advocate of that. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm but, not saying that. But if we're reading between the lines, what you're saying is that that's a better option for a man to explore. What not I'm the, saying, you're not is, recommending it, obviously. No, what I'm saying is don't explore external exogenous supplementation without understanding what's happening internally to your hormones first. Get your baseline tested then work with a physician or a practitioner that wants to move the marker right. to a safe area for you. Yeah. So let's go back to biohacking, right? Where we said the normal blood test. Why do we both lie in the same blood test if I'm male and you're male? Right? Now I'm saying, okay, let's do personalized medicine. Let's measure 650 to 850 inflammatory biomarkers associated with your end organ. You've got yours, I've got mine specific to my ethnicity, right? Okay. my epigenetics, my microbiome, my DNA, my hormone profile, and then here's my bell curve. And then I'm saying, okay, you're in the normal range for this inflammatory marker associated with your brain pathway over here, but we don't want you to be normal. We want you to be optimal. We want you to work at 140%. How far away from a normal marker on a scale is optimal in your estimation? I like think we should percentage-wise on the markers. So I, I said it to you before: athletes use their energy factories, their mitochondria, at one hundred and forty percent efficiency. We use it at sixty to seventy. So, so, so we want to. So if it. so, if I was to look at something as one hundred percent, and you said to me, Frankie, you're using it at sixty-seven. Yeah. Why would I? Why would optimal be then to redline it at one forty? Why would that be optimal? Because it depends what outcome you want. So if you want your mood to, so it depends, you'll say to me, Dr. Vali, so when we take your history, you'll be like, my mood, I get irritated easily, it's up and down, I have anxiety, yeah. right? I'm not sleeping, when I do sleep, it's light sleep, it's three to four hours. Okay. Okay, and my libido's down. Those are the three markers I want to work on. I say, okay, this is the normal range for you, let's get you to optimal. Because what's traditional medicine? Traditional medicine is curative. Here's a problem, let's try and cure it. What's preventative medicine? What's biohacking? What's optimal health? Forget that we don't even want the problem. We don't even want to get there. Let's figure out how to never get there. So when you're looking at, uh, when you've tested someone's blood and oxygen levels and all this other stuff that you probably test and run through, when you've done the whole, that whole suite of protocol and you're asking them how many hours sleep you've had and what you're doing here and what's, it, what's your libido like and all this stuff, when you've got that big picture you then work backwards from that big picture and just say, okay, right, these are the, these are the areas we're going to shift because you can predict off that picture, I presume, what health problems that person potentially can have because you're getting ahead of the bell curve. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. But also I work with you because you might like being irritated because it makes you perform better, right? <laughs> yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah. So I'll ask you, which, which factors do you want to work on? Which three factors do you want to work on? Because, again, it's personalized medicine. I'm not going to presume and say work on these five modalities of mood, energy, blah, blah, blah. You might say, actually, I like being irritated because it really drives me. And I perform much better when I'm irritated. See, one of the, one of the things that I've worked on removing, even just in the last 20 days, and I've done this a couple of times before, but this time it's a definite decision that it's never going to happen again in my life. Yeah. Um, energy drinks. I was addicted to energy drinks. And I realized how much they're redlining my adrenals, how much they're ruining my sleep how they would um, cause uh, irritation, but also inflammation. I didn't realize the inflammation effect of this and how much 
bringing down your inflammation in your body can affect how you perform massively i think and even even so, some of the um i had i had patches of dry skin on my leg and stuff like that and obviously when i was redlining myself with energy drinks it was flaring up these red patches of skin do you know what i mean it's causing all kinds of different dramas cortisol levels were going all all out of control and since i've just removed that even one piece yeah i've i've essentially feel like i've renewed my whole body so it's like what did they say they say when you have a leaky gut you have a leaky brain and is that what causes leaky gut energy drinks so think about it what feeds your whole body what organ feeds every single part of your body your gut yeah your gut now if your gut microbiome your gut flora is being fed sugar and energy high drinks yeah you're going to feed the bad bacteria you're going to have SIBO small intestine bowel overgrowth right you're going to have what we don't call it in irritable bowel syndrome anymore we call it gut dysbiosis yeah so what's going to happen is the microvilli these little things in your gut absorb it into the bloodstream then that bloodstream goes and feeds the rest of your body to the organs your mood you get that sugar high then you come down yeah okay so that's why they're now really focusing on gut health there's two things they're focusing at the moment gut health and inflammation they're now saying the basis of most diseases is inflammation and getting the inflammation down from everything is the key thing so what there's one thing i love there's one thing that i always talk to everyone about and this is not in not something you can do at home but it's something you can either take supplementation for ivs nad it's a coenzyme nad plus yeah nad plus right yeah. i love it and the reason why i love it is because it works on the mitochondria it works on the energy factories of the cells it's present in every single cell and what it does by the time you're 40 you've lost half your amount so it's a coenzyme it goes in and it cleans up your mitochondria it makes it more efficient so if you're taking with iv you get 99% bioavailability if you're taking with supplements it's going to take you a long time to build up i love doing nad ivs mood energy libido gut health everything is optimized do the injections also help you as well they've released subcut injections that you can inject in into your into your sub in. subcutaneous fat, fat in yeah. your belly yeah yeah they've yeah. released that because they've seen such good outcomes with it because it's a natural product no one's telling you to take an exogenous drug i'm not prescribing you a drug and i think i think the cost of it in in the uk is between 180 and 220 pound a month for for nad plus For what supplements for, for, for no for the nad plus for the injections into the subconscious i've I've just seen them online but i'm i'm not saying whether that's a, the optimal way of doing it i'm just saying it's better than nothing i think iv is the optimal way of doing anything because if you think about supplementation yeah straight into the bloodstream yeah we well, think about supplementation supplement industry is huge right it's a billion dollar industry if you actually take down the pure ingredients of that supplementation you find a lot of filler ingredients in it right you're taking it supplement 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 it's got to go through first pass metabolism digestive system half of it's thrown in the bin excreted yeah it's not getting to the end point as easily right the outcome you want whether it's hair skin nails whether it's you know i don't know whether it's for your gut yeah it's not getting there but an iv you're getting 99% bioavailability straight into the bloodstream to the end organ like i don't do supplements i do droppers sublingual droppers under the tongue under the tongue because the absorption is much better So these are the things you, when you guys are looking at you know what can we do what are we taking oh I'm going to take these 50 supplements that this gentleman in in this article is talking about I'm I'm like stop So all the all the like uh chewable vitamin Cs <laughs> all the tablets all that kind of stuff is not is the not is not the right bioavailable 
products to be able to do the outcome that you're you're trying to achieve so essentially what you're doing then is wasting money so and i love it this is where i laugh because i say everything is about using yourselves to fix you fundamentally go back to the basics what is the best ai technology we have right now the human body it is phenomenal it's not chat gpt it's not mid journey it's none of that the human body is phenomenal look at the brain look at the neuronal pathways look at how we repair ourselves i say if you're going to do anything use yourselves to fix you make sure you optimize yourself stop taking these external things that's why i said when we talked about the external testosterone i said be careful yeah so for me getting bioavailability is key how much of the end product in terms of like the hair supplements how much of it is actually going to the hair follicle yeah yeah it's yeah not. because you've got because you've got to it's got to go into your into your stomach and then it's got to be filtered through the stomach it's yeah. got to get rid of the filler and the collagenants and everything yeah. else that's put with that and then that's and then that tiny piece that you know if they said there's 500 milligrams on the tablet um when it's been sat there for a while that, that that can degrade and then by the time it gets into your into your stomach and then you're trying to process it through your bloodstream you probably only get 10 milligrams of the 500 yeah. milligrams there it's, you go and people are being sold this sold this dream, but if you if you could if if there's a marker that everyone could move is, is am I right in thinking that the key the key thing that people could get right first is not a morning routine it's not all this other stuff is it sleep is sleep the key f- thing first I think deep restorative REM sleep is a key thing. So in order to be able to find that out, you have to measure. So things like order or a ring band, because you, you're not going to know. It's all right saying, yeah, get that. But it's all, you're not going to know if you've had it unless you've measured it, right? No, I disagree. I mean, 20 years ago, we didn't have the aura ring or the whoop or anything, right? Think about it. So REM sleep is where you have your dream mode. Deep sleep is about under sedation, anesthesia. And on average, you get one to two hours a night. Yeah. And as you age, it gets even worse. So getting into delta wave neuronal activity of your brain making sure your sleep hygiene is there put your phone away a few hours beforehand yeah have your last meal early if it's very carbohydrate have it at 7 p.m have a light snack instead have that have that system circadian rhythm so you're having the same time every night you're going to sleep at the same time you're waking up at the same time in the morning so you have that consistency there's these are basic things you can do you don't need to buy an aura ring or whoop to do that so, but, so for years we've been told about this phenomenal morning routine that you have to have and win the day, but you cannot win the day. The winning the day starts with the night before, essentially. Yeah, I agree. And it's it, and I think that's such an overlooked part is 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 that you need a more, you, your your day will work out if you work out your bedtime routine and kind of have it. What is it? What is an optimal time then for for people to go to sleep? You reckon nine o'clock? So they say an average uh, human needs five to seven hours of sleep. They restore its body. But some people have conditioned their bodies to have three to five hours. So it just depends how you've trained your body. There's another thing that I would say that makes your life easier, and I think you'll probably agree as well, is decision fatigue. Yeah, To I be agree into that. a routine so that you don't have decision fatigue, so that the cortisol isn't going up and down and you're not stressed. Yeah. It's literally routine, routine, discipline. You don't get into decision fatigue. And they say the first one to two hours, you know, I'm a morning person. I like at 5 a.m. I like to send my emails. I like to figure out my day. I'm not a person who does gratitude journaling. I don't do meditation. I, you know, I pray. I have some spirituality. That's my meditation for me. And I need my cortisol spikes to be driven a little bit. So I, I need that fire up me 
to move a little bit so I don't like it to be dampened but some people like to be in a very beta wave driven calm way of like getting things done I'm not I'm like this yeah that works for me you work in sprints but I think if you look at history of humans they they, they, they work in sprints don't they in in environments and whether it's out whether they're hunting gathering food or you know you don't work in a all this all this rubbish about it has to be between nine to five and it has to be a steady pace it just does not work with what you're what you're saying you're trying to achieve yeah but i i think that's a societal conditioning of that nine to five behavior and stuff like and it doesn't apply anyway today it doesn't apply you've got a 14 year old coding and selling his tech ip for a hundred million right so we've changed we've evolved so quickly that none of that applies anymore the only thing we're finding a lot more commonly now is burnout, mental health crisis, feeling overwhelmed, wired and tired, running on empty. And then now you're going to laugh. We're externally criticizing ourselves as well, right? Yeah. But, 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 but and, and we will talk about this further on, further along, but obviously people are juicing themselves up on the, on the external to fix what they really should be addressed on the internal first. Like in terms of like, you know, get your sleep right check your markers, see where you are, see, you know, see how your adrenals are. Are you redlining yourself? Do you know what I mean? If you're going to be, when you talk about wired and tired and then people go get fillered, uh, fillered faces to, to overcome their, the bags under their eyes when they could have just literally set themselves a bedtime uh, and, and, and not, not got the same result, but in terms of like dramatically reduce the inflammation in their body to be able to get, overcome it. Right. Am I, am I right in thinking that? A little bit. <laughs> There's, there's, yes. a, there's, a, there's a lot in that. I'm just trying to... No, oh. I get it. I understand. This is why we approach you in a 360 manner. So if we don't fix the inside, how can we fix the outside? This is why I say that. Yeah. So, you know, let's work on why you feel that this is happening. And then also, let's also make sure you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, so, so essentially, the key, the, key, the key metric to first get right is to obviously understand your, your, your metrics and also to get, get your bedtime routine sorted so you can actually f- optimize that. Bedtime routine, discipline and routine, so the decision fatigue doesn't seep in, so you don't get the cortisol spikes, okay? Then on top of it, if you're worried about something on the inside, I feel, I'm really scared now, because on Instagram, on TikTok, everyone's an expert. Everyone's a biohacker, everyone's a mental health coach, everyone's a wellness expert, everyone's a dermatologist or cosmetic or an injector, Everyone's got a skincare line, product line. It's just so confusing. What is right and what is wrong? So be careful of the information you're taking in. Make sure it comes from an educated, verified source. So you have to, you have to detox who you're following, essentially. Yeah, that's evidence-based, right? Because everyone's calling themselves an expert. And that's not fair on you. You should respect your brain a little bit more to be like, okay, Everyone can't be an expert in everything. That's impossible. Do you think we've lost as a society our critical thinking? No, because you got, there's a lot of trolling going on. So, no. <laughs> so I don't think, I think critical analysis. So, you know, analyzing the information, seeing if it's correct, verifying it. And does it work for you? Be, what, caref- be careful of the information you take in. Give me an example of something shocking that you've seen that a lot of people are buying into at the moment. I'll give you a straight example. So you know I've got an innovation hub. So you know we've got patent technology in terms of devices, machinery, and you know we're scaling in skin tech and we're formulating in skin care. Fundamentally, where there's 8 billion people in the world, 
How can one skincare formula work for everyone? How can one brand work for everyone? That doesn't even make sense. But marketing's a key driver, right? Hyaluronic acid, a serum, everyone talks about, oh, hyaluronic acid, hyaluronic acid, the super holy grail. It doesn't even penetrate past the beauty layer of the skin. Well, so how many layers deep is the beauty layer? The beauty layer is on top, the epidermis. Right. Then you've got the dermis. And then the part of the dermis, there's a medical layer called the reticular dermis. Which is layer three, yeah? Which is in the dermis, basically. Right. And it's this layer that heals you from the inside out. Remember we talked about inflammation. Remember we talked about fixing your cells from the inside out. So you need products then that go to that layer. Exactly. This is a high five for that. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm a man that's trying to understand this and trying to unpack this for a lot of other men that listen to yeah. this podcast because I want, I want everyone that listens to this to be able to step away from this today and, and, and get a little bit more optimal in their life so they can perform better in their entrepreneurial journey or, or whether, they, whether they want to perform in their sport or their high-level job. I want them to be able to get off here today and do yeah. that. I would say if you are looking at anything, look at where the end product gets to and how much of the concentration of it, supplements, skincare, blah, 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 how much of the concentration actually gets to the end point. And if someone's shown you a cartoon character of cells drawn and stuff like that, but they haven't shown you real pathology under a microscope, then run. <laughs> that, what you've just said there is the most profound bit of this podcast for me because I've, I've realized that every, everything that you take or everything that you consume, yeah. you could think to yourself, does this nourish the end point and does this fulfill my, my end goal with yeah. what this is actually meant to do? And then you can actually make a decision whether you put that in your body or not. Yeah. Just predicated on the simplest assessment. And, and I guarantee that 80% of the stuff that we all consume would all be taken out yeah. if we actually looked at it from that perspective. But look at what they say, you know, when they say, you know, I, you know, I want to get an eight pack, I want to get a two pack, you know, I need to lose seven kilograms. Should I get a gastric bypass? Should I get liposuction? You know, should I go on a Zempic? Should I go on Saxenda, Manjaro, blah, blah, should I hack my metabolism? What's a quick fix? There is no quick fix because if you, whatever you do on your body internally will have an external or internal effect later on somewhere else. So I can get liposuction for free. I know everyone, right? <laughs> But I refuse to have liposuction because you're born with a certain number of fat cells. If, you re- if, if I take 100% of fat cells away from a certain area of the body, remember you, you've been on Miami Beach, Dubai Beach, Monaco, Saint-Tropez, you see all these flat stomachs, yeah. but then you see upper back fat or double yeah. chin or fat arms or thick waist, and you're like, feminine, male, what's going on? Or man boobs, right? <laughs> like, what's going on? You get reactive fat somewhere else. So when you're disrupting one cell, another cell is going to be affected in a certain way. So when I'm looking at creating a treatment plan for you, I'm not looking at a quick fix. I'm saying, what's going to happen to that output in a year's time, in three years' time, and in seven years' time? What anatomical cell am I targeting? What anatomical layer am I targeting? What is the end point and what's the evidence behind it? Yeah. And and that's going to help you perform a lot better because you're going to understand yourself from the inside out. And I, I just I just think it's profound how you know we've been taught as a society to that. And I know we all judge external, but really, it is what's going on inside that you want to look at first to be able to perform better, better, yeah. optimal, however you want to perform it. But I, I really want to unpack this: what actual optimal really means. I, I want to fully understand that because to me. Because I, I know I know we touched upon it earlier in the podcast, but when you said the optimal marker and then you're talking about 140%, what is the downside of the optimal being 40% over 
the maximum of that cell. Like I just I want to unpack that. There is no downside because it's all subjective. Optimal for you might be seventy percent, right? Right. It's subjective. What is your outcome? What do you want to improve on, and why do you want to improve on it? So that it's all subjective. But as long as it's evidence based and you're not doing any end cell damage or affecting anything in the long run, that's a key thing. So I'm not saying to you, Frankie, in your mood, sleep, energy, your fertility, your libido, your gut health, your immune system, you need to perform at 140% in everything. No. Because you're just, like I said to you, you might need your cortisol spikes to drive you. So it's, I'm happy at 70%. I'm happy at 50%. I'm happy on cruise control in these five elements. So give me a bit of an understanding then on what you see people consuming on a daily basis in terms of like food and drink that you think that over a long period of time, you're just, you just, you're negating your energy, you're negating your sleep, you're kind of ruining all. You tell me. I think you know. I I, I think you know. I, I, I do know, but I, I kind of want you to tell you to tell the world. You know. Yeah, I, I do Why know. Why can't you say it? I, I think what I, is the number one enemy that's killing everyone at the moment in our diet? What is it? I think it's probably sugar. Sugar is the new cocaine. I think yeah, it's probably sugar. Probably, yeah, it's so like every, it's got. I think it's I think it's sugar. I think it's people have demonized fat, but fat is your greatest energy source. Yes. Like in terms of like so so you be. You've been taught to demonize fat, but really, fat is actually where you get your energy source. And, I, and I've got I've got another guest coming on um, to talk about how to uh, use that fat as energy source as well. Yeah. That's later down the track. But I really want to get into this this sugar thing and and how much people should really be consuming and why they should be watching it. And not only that, the addictive nature, yeah, yeah. the highs, the spike, and then the falling, and then oh yeah, I need some more energy, like you mentioned, the energy spike, and then the dip down. I live on Coke Zero. I get that spike, and then suddenly I need, I crave more. It's empty calories. Sucralose or something along sucrose. Sucrose. No, but there's another. There's another element of it. I can't remember what, what it is. There's another one. So why why are you drinking? Why are you drinking Coke Zero? Because I'm the I'm realist. So I'm not the doctor who's going to say. So this is what I'm saying. I'm the doctor who sits there. I will eat the red velvet cupcake. I will drink the Coke Zero. I had one of those. Earlier. Yeah, great. You've got to live, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. be let's be practical yeah. here. You've got to live, right? So I'm the doctor who will eat the red velvet cupcake. I'll drink the Coke Zero, but I also know how to hack my metabolism. I also know how to optimize my mitochondrial factories, my energy factories. I also know how to hack myself at home without using Dr. Vali, and with using Dr. Vali. But I am privileged. I have access to it. So what advice could you give to people that don't have access, maybe can't afford you, yeah. like that listening to this, that they just want to optimise? Sugar is the most ageing factor of every cell, right? Ageing factor. Yes, and it causes inflammation. Inflammation causes cellular turnover. Cellular turnover causes ageing of your organs or cells or, or the end output. So you're telling me then that sugar is the most ageing product that you can consume? Yeah. Does sugar also lead to cancer? Can't tell you that. Because we can't prove it. Can't prove it because, you know, we've got epigenetics, mutagens, we've got external factors, too many, there's too many, there's too much etiology, too many causes that can trigger that. But but it can, but it can, there, there, there have been people that have been obese, for argument's sake, yeah. and that obesity has been caused by copious amounts of sugar. And when they've cut the sugar and lost the fat, they've, re- they've returned to normal ranges and, and not been diabetic anymore. Am I right in thinking that? No. 
So you can't, you can't, re- you can't reverse it. Because I've known, so I've, I've kind of, I kind of, I've not, I've not been told this by a doctor, but I I've been told. I don't think obese, I don't think, you know, if you've got, if you're in the obesity range. Yeah. And then you've naturally cut down your foods and you've exercised and stuff like that. You're still at risk of, because you've lined fat. Because remember fat, remember when we talk about sugar, sugar yeah. can convert fat with glucagon, your glucagon stores, your insulin glucagon pathway. So you've lined fat at end organ damage. So when you lose weight, you lose a superficial mid fat. Not at the organ end. The end organ damage you've caused also needs to be reversed. So how do you reverse end organ damage? Well, that's the problem now. So then you've got exogenous stuff such as statins to help your cholesterol go down, to reduce the fat deposits around the vessels that support your heart. There's loads of other ways. But there's got to be a knock-on effect to having statins and stuff like that. Yeah, if you get side to the effects thing. to medications. But then I'd rather have a statin, not have a heart attack. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you, you've sold me on the statin. Yeah. All right. But it's not that. It's just, you know, people are taking metformin to increase their life expectancy because there's some kind of studies that show that metformin control, obviously it's a diabetic drug. It controls the insulin, glucagon level, the spikes, the peaks and spikes. And people are taking it for longevity medicine now or they're taking it to control their sugar, right? So you've got medications that are being used for disease control and you've got the same medication that's been used for health optimization. It's interesting. It's a really evolving pathway. Yeah, I know. Because I know in like the bodybuilding space, they've used for years. They've used like things like clenbuterol yeah. and uh, other 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 molecules and drugs to kind of bring down the body fat percentage. But obviously, there's a knock-on effect with that. So, so you, what you're saying is that any drug that you choose to put in yourself to correct one area of of you at a cellular level will also radically affect you down the track another what i'm saying is whatever you take exogenously externally think of the effects internally so yes go to a practitioner or a physician that understands the implications so when you're biohacking yourself in a sense just so that everyone's clear on this when you're biohacking yourself i is the best thing to do is obviously you get the full mot and you get your bloods done all that stuff but is the best thing to do then is to take out all the supplements you're taking and take out everything and then start from and then start from a reintroduction schedule. And start like I said, I've given you some tips to do at home. Then I said, okay, if you want to take it to the next level, you come someone like me. And you say these are three things I want to improve on. Like we mentioned mood, energy, whatever it is. And then we say, okay, these are things, mid level biohacking that we're going to do. We're going to give you IV NAD, we're going to put you in a hyperbaric chamber to reduce your inflammation. We're going to put IV laser in your bloodstream to reduce the inflammation. And then we're going to give you supplementation but with bioavailability should we need to let's see how that works and we're going to use markers and we're going to see if the markers are moved and you're going to tell me because think about it you've gone to your doctor a few times right but your blood results are always normal but you still feel like crap like how is that possible yeah yeah because because yeah yeah essentially a clinician has to evaluate the objectivity the objective markers well, one thing... As well as subjectivity. Well, one thing, one key thing that a doctor isn't doing, like a doctor, an NHS doctor or a doctor that you go see, they're not asking you what your goal is. Yeah. So how do they know if you're normal or not? Because they're not asking you what you're actually got. Normal, normal in the range of, okay, normal in terms of like, can I walk out the door and not have a heart attack in, in, in 100 metres? Yeah, okay, that's normal. Yeah. But like in terms of like, the doctor, the doctor that you go and see in, in that kind of environment, he never says to you, how do how do how, you know all these questions like how do you want to sleep how do you want to this they don't ask you those questions they just want to get you in and out but door. Frankie why would they look at our system it's traditional medicine 
it's preventative medicine, it's curative medicine, it's not optimal health. We're yeah. not looking at your personalized goals. Yeah. We're marking you, you know, we've got cough targets to hit. We've got targets to hit, you know, cancer screening targets, stuff like that. We're generic. We're taking mass data and normalizing the bell curve according to the mass data. It's not personalized. Well, let's talk about some of the tech that you've brought in and some of the tech that you're developing at the back end because like, that really interests me. I want to understand and unpack that. So basically, in terms of my entrepreneurship journey, I've been in service for 18 years. So there isn't a story that I haven't heard on the biohacking side, on the inside, or a story I haven't heard on the outside. <laughs> yeah. In terms of cosmetic dermatology, microsurgery, plastic surgery, blah, blah, blah. And one thing key for me was, okay, how do I get my hands on everyone and how do I educate everyone in the correct way rather than having this look or telling them not to distort their anatomy, to look like everyone else, to respect their unique features and their heritage and their ethnicity? How do I do, how do I get my hands on everyone? If I tried that, I'll be having arthritis by the time I'm like <laughs> 90, right? So it's like, what do, what do they want? Okay, they want devices. COVID caused a boom in the beauty tech industry in terms of devices people want at home results now people so want, the red light face things yeah, all that kind of stuff led masks blah 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 people want innovation in their hands people don't want to have to travel anymore we're in a disposable community now we want it now we want to dispose immediately we want the next fix so for me it was what technology can i devise that gives the outcome that you want and what are the outcomes that you want that i've seen in 18 years so me, for the face, where do we age from first? We age from the skull. We don't age from the skin. The skull resorbs. Really? Yeah. So we age from the skull breaks down. The skeletal system breaks down, and everything sitting on top of it slides off. So if you think about it, the orbital rim, which is initially round, becomes rhomboid. Your eyes become smaller and beadier. Cartilage grows. Your ears get longer. Your mandible maxilla, your jawline might move forward and might move backward, or you might get a brucey chin, your nose might grow. That it's from the skull first. That's a foundation of the anatomy, the bone. And then anything sitting on top of it, fat pads, muscle, nerves, circulation, skin, the biggest organ, then starts slipping down. So for me, I wanted to create something that works on every single anatomical layer. So there's loads of different technologies. Microcurrent technology only goes on the beauty layer, the epidermis. It doesn't go to the deep dermis. And I want to get to the skull. And I didn't want FDA approval either because it takes too long. So I was like, what technology can I produce that can create patterns, sonic wave patterns, that go to each anatomical layer? And the only, the only technology there is oscillation, vibration. So I went to the biggest sex toy manufacturer in Germany... <laughs> Of course you did. Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went and you know took the two biggest dildos I could find. <laughs> and I said, I need these, these engines to... <laughs> I'm not even going to ask yeah. you to test them. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. And then I turned around and said, how do I create a device? that?" And then we had three years of research. So we're German engineered, medical grade silicon. We wanted chrome metal with it. It's a heavy device. And then I wanted it to be beautiful so that you can carry it. For men, I made a black version. For women, I made a Hermes burnt, burnt orange and a bone version. And then what I wanted to do is I needed to create oscillation technology that creates certain sonic wave or patterns that penetrates differently to the bone, 
to lift and tighten. I want to try one of these. I want to try on one your of face these. <laughs> <laughs> to the fat pads to lift and tighten to contour, right? Because you know these young girls are getting lip fillers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also so for me it was like, how do I get my hands on people who are scared of needles, and how do I get my hands on people who want to maintain their work whilst they can't see me again, right? So it was that. That's what, and then so we've got it. On the bone, it lifts and tightens. It gives you micro-contouring. It lifts the fat pads. So there's two settings, one for lifting and tightening, one for micro-contouring. Then we've got a great one. This is my favorite one for tension relief. What happens when you? What happened to you when you used to cut your finger? What did mum tell you to do? Put a plaster on it. <laughs> That's literally what she told me. Well, my mum told me to either put cold potato on it or to run it under the tap, under cold water. Oh, okay. Because what happens, the nociception pathway, the pain pathway of cutting your finger is overridden by the thermoregulation pathway, the yeah. temperature pathway. So it takes away the pain. So it takes away the pain. So vibration, when you've got a headache in your frontal area or your occipital area, takes away the pain. Then we've got one for skin radiance. And what happens when you drink too much to your face when you wake up in the morning? You feel like bloated. It gets puffy. Yeah. So we've got a depuffing setting as well. And then I put it in like an Apple AirPods Beats by Dre chargeable case, you know, make it cool. <laughs> and that's and then when now we're innovating our other devices. And I wanted to have my own IP. For me, that was very, very. So, so you realised along the journey, you needed to pivot from just selling time or selling other people's time, and you had to. There had to be a pivot entrepreneurially. No, for me, what happened? I woke up one morning, and I was sitting on a lot of panels, internationally speaking events. And I was sitting with these doctors that weren't dermatologists or weren't biohackers. I didn't have the experience, you know, orthopedic surgeon or someone in stem cell but has never seen a patient in their life. And they're selling these creams and they're valued at 100 million, half a billion. And I'm just like, and then the whole audience is walking towards me to ask me questions. And then the key, key, the panel arbitrator is sitting there, Dr. Vali, where's your product line? And I'm like, oh, what do you mean a product line? What do you mean by that? So basically, you you did the classic thing that a, that a lot of us end up doing because obviously I've not got a product line where I perhaps should have a product line and will have a product line eventually. But it's like if you're stood on stage speaking, yeah, and you don't have something at the end to sell, yeah, you've just done yourself a disservice essentially. Well, no, because I was in service and I was making revenue anyway. So for me, I could be not be in the clinic and I my team. Remember, we run a ma- we lobotomize you when you come and work for me. I take your brain, I throw it in the bin. It takes me six months to a year to train you. Right, so we lobotomize you, part, and when you're part of my team, you're literally a mini me. So we really, really train you well. So for me, it wasn't that. For me, it was actually I don't believe what this person's saying to you. You're not going to get the result if you've got inflammatory acne. Why are they selling you a product that's not going to work? It's marketing. So for me, I was just like, I need to formulate so that my end consumer and my patient gets the outcome that they deserve. So I'll give you an example in terms of creams. If you, I don't know what, I presume you use like, what do you use? A moisturizer. Anything, right? Anything. Men use a moisturizer and a towel and that's yeah, about it. That's it. it. So that's fine, <laughs> right? And that's why you put sometimes, sometimes, sometimes they age better than some of the women. That's what I was about to say. That's why you probably age better. <laughs> Less is more, right? So basically, if you're putting on, I don't know, your moisturizer and then you've forgotten to put it on for a day or two and suddenly you're like, I feel dry. You're like, oh, it's because I didn't use my Lemay, I didn't use my, I don't know, Nivea cream, whatever it is. It's not because of that. Your skin cells have the ability to heal themselves. When you're putting on a moisturizer, the skin cells 
in the dermis, the medical layer of the skin, are saying, guys, relax, she's feeding us. Don't worry, let's become lazy. You're causing a negative so feedback. So you're self-educating your cells yeah. to, to, and literally like you're covering up by creating a problem then, essentially. Yes, basically. So that's the first thing you're doing, right? So you're, you're, you're telling your cells, don't worry, I'm going to feed you all day long. You don't need to work. Right? You don't need to repair yourself. The other problem you've got in the industry is, like I said, where do products normally sit? They sit on the beauty layer, on the epidermis. It's all about can it get to the medical layer of the skin? So we created patented formulation in terms of taking prescription-grade actives, what I'd normally use in a clinic yeah. with a doctor's note. I say, I like these ingredients in a hydrophilic, a water-soluble molecule, and I like these ingredients in a lipophilic, a lipid-soluble molecule, because that's what our bodies are made up of at a cellular level. Right. right. I'm putting prescription-grade strength ingredients in both. Yeah. I'm going to marry it up. I'm going to seal it up in Japanese technology. And I'm going to shrink wrap it. And I'm going to make sure that when you put that cream on with that particle, with that patented technology, it goes to the medical layer of the cell, your skin cell. But it activates you differently to me. So how are, you, how are you getting over having to have a prescription to normally put those topical creams on a, on a skin? Because we shrink wrap the technology so that it is allowed at a consumer level. So you took, the, you've took away some of the potency? Or? No, the potency is there, but we put it, we've shrink wrapped it, so that it becomes it it's it's it comes encapsulated, and then it releases when it needs to release. It doesn't release on top of here. Does that right, make sense? Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to work it out. It's it, a, it releases here, but also, I'm saying, how can one cream fix all of us? It can't. So that molecule is called biometric adaptive complex. So it adapts to you differently to me because my problem might be pigmentation and yours might be rosacea, which it is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you can't, both of us can't use the same cream for the same output. And let's talk about that actually because I think obviously how, how I found you is obviously um, my friend introduced me to you. I've got, um, you say it's rosacea on my face where I've got a reddening of the, of the skin on the forehead and the side of the cheeks here. That I'm trying to balance out. There might be other people dealing with that kind of, that kind of issue like what are the ways and means that we can do that yeah so i say rosacea is a condition it's an inflammation of your skin there's mild moderate and severe mild is in your 20s when you drink a glass of wine you go a little bit red in your 30s and 40s you get broken capillaries you get red spots your skin thinks feels a bit leathery and you've got open pores and thickening in your 40s and 50s do you remember that drinking nose in the pub yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> with the rhinophyma and the changing yeah. of the nose okay so that's severe if you come to me at severe, I can change you to moderate. If you come to me at moderate, I can change you to mild. If you come to me at mild, I can change you to me. So you've got to think about disease progression. So again, it's a medical condition. So why are you expecting over-the-counter products to fix it? However, you can slow down the progression. So it's an inflammatory skin condition, so we need to reduce the inflammation. So internally, there's stuff that you can do, like yeah. eat so much sugar well, and stuff e- like that. Even, even, even when I got rid of energy drinks, yeah. it... It calmed it a lot. There you go. Because that was, a, I didn't realize how much of a driver that was to to my, my skin, like in terms of like redlining my skin. Yeah, there you go, you see. So the internally, there's stuff you can do. And externally, you might come to a dermatologist. And if you can't come see me, then the advice I give to the general public is, you feel oil, you feel dry in rosacea, so you, you lo- you'll use a lot more moisturizer. I'm saying to you, it's an inflammatory, oily condition. So actually take everything away, just wash your face with water, 
use a mild SPF for the next six to eight weeks and you'll see your rosacea improve. All right, let's let's touch upon something that obviously not many men will also talk about. It's kind of the work that they've had done to aesthetically yeah. like that. Because obviously a lot of the girls we know, I look on Instagram every day. I'm seeing, I'm like, oh, I can see she's had her jawline filled out here and I can see it all. You and like that. it. I just don't know how it's going to age though. Like I, 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 I see a lot of these. I think the girls are getting it done too early. If I'm honest, yep. if I'm honest with my, and I, 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 you tell me your thoughts afterwards. But I think that the women before they're kind of like twenty eight, thirty. If they're, if they're at twenty one, twenty two, which a lot of these girls are, yeah. and they're they're getting these really. I don't know what you call it. You can break it down. But there's this there's this thing that they do now where they straighten this line here, <laughs> right, and it goes into this chin here, and, and the they do chin it on each is side, like a point. and it's like yeah, it points the chin yeah. out, and then they and then they flare the lips, and but the, the lips. but the lips fold up, and they fo- if they fold over that line, it really it really pisses me off. I don't know yeah. why, but that that line there is the break line. I'm sorry, but it's, it's, this is true. Like, I'm, just I'm laughing because this is what because, this is so true. Because, because I I think if you go past that line, Dr. Yeah. Valley, I think I think that. That's a bleed. Looks like a bleed out. On so that I was an engineer yeah. by trade yeah. before I was a carpenter. Yeah. And if I did something like that in engineering with my welding, yeah. and it went over the line, it would look imperfect. And so I'm just what saying, you're what you're saying so is what, why? Why are they doing that? Yeah. yeah. Why are people distorting natural anatomy? Because once you distort, to that to to that, to that degree, because once you distort natural anatomy, you can't get it back. We're going back to the same thing. Once you destroy a cell, you can't get it back. Because you can't dissolve. You can't dissolve that. You know that bit there. Yeah. I, what, 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 that really what, irritates you, doesn't it? Yeah, because I, I, I just don't know why you do that. I just don't understand because because not because educated properly. Because I think women are are taught to get their lips fit, filled for whatever reason. But so who's they, taught them that? Society, Instagram, yeah. other other women in their industry are teaching yeah. them. But but women with a certain amount of filler in the lips look really good. But what happens I've seen in society is then they start, when they get to like one mil or however many mil they need to get to the optimal look, yeah. which you'll tell me, yeah. and then they go, and then they get, the, it's like they've got an addiction now and they have to go overboard. Yeah. So is that a thing that you've found in this, in this? There is one thing I do ethically and morally that most doctors don't do. And I made a decision to do this 10 years ago. I will never put a before and after picture up on Instagram. Because I don't want to tell a 14-year-old that you need to fix your nose, your lips, or put filler under your eyes, or have liposuction, or have a breast implants. Ethically and morally, it's completely incorrect. If you look at the way I do videos, everything is education-based. Yeah. I will educate you, and I will tell you how to do it correctly. And it's up to you to take that information and impart it onto your physician, your practitioner, or you come to me. Now, in terms of face... The reason why they're doing this and this is because they haven't been educated properly, either by their practitioner or physician or doctor, or no one's actually taken autonomy or responsibility for them. It's my risk. You are my responsibility. I'm a doctor in the room. If you're coming into the room and you're telling me what to do and you're showing me an Instagram picture and I know that that's going to distort your natural anatomy and it's going to take your heritage and your ethnicity away... I'm going to re-educate you. If we don't agree, I'm going to say I'm the wrong doctor for you. So can we can we just get this straight then? So really, if if you're talking about women getting aesthetics done or men getting aesthetics done, yeah. either either sex doesn't matter. But if you it, it really should be performed by a doctor that's fully skilled, I'm I'm talking. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've got 18 years of experience. Okay, I anatomically. So 
what is why for me if you're saying i want my lips done and you're a girl or you're female i will sit there and teach you and say well the gaze analysis the first thing someone looks at harvard studies have shown eyes eyes the next anti-aging feature is teeth the third is the shape of the face right so you're go, you're you're going you're yeah. go you're going to fourth or fifth place yeah. to 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 change yourself when you should be looking at something else. Yes. And then I say, you know, the thing the next thing we look at is the angle of the nose, the lip and the chin. And then we look at then we look at nose to mouth, then we look at lips. Yeah. Then we're looking at mid cheek, then we're looking at brow arch. We never look at your lips first. Evidence-based medicine has taught us that. The first thing someone looks at is your eyes. The next thing is your teeth. So why am I going to do this and this? If the, if the if the other essence aren't right. So yeah. what you're saying is that men and women have been taught to, to they've been taught by because it's easier to put filler in these places probably, yeah. and because it monetizes quicker, yeah. and because you need less tech and less stuff, so you can it's now do less, it in, less knowledge and less knowledge. So now you can do it in a salon. Yeah. So now so now there's, there's well, I'm not going to comment on that. I think in the UK. They're trying to change the regulation in that because there's been a lot of complications. So obviously we talked a lot about women and how they're changing themselves. But yeah. what about men? What are they doing and how are they changing themselves and, and other stuff? I think it's more acceptable for men to have procedures on the outside. I think um, they're going to their... What's really funny is they don't come naturally. They're either referred by their girlfriends or their wives or historically they've read an article or something and they just want to look fresher. Most men will come in for performance-driven inside. I want to perform better. I want to concentrate better. I want to sleep. A male client is so much easier than a female client. A male client is so less critical of themselves. And you literally say to them, most of them just want to look fresh. So the kind of procedures they're undertaking is thickening their hair, looking fresh under the eyes, jawline, if you know they've got the laxity, just tightening it up, and then just getting rid of the pores, the rosacea, the oiliness, and then there's stubborn areas as you age of fat gain. I mean, you're like a boxer, but some people are struggling with like flanks. You know, when you're sitting in your trousers and shirt and it's overhanging in certain areas, a lower abdomen. In men, the stubborn fat areas tend to be over here and submental area and after 35. Upper back, man boobs, lower abdomen and flanks. And then that's on the outside. On the inside, we do. We do. Libido is a really underrated topic that people don't talk about openly. But after I've seen you once or twice, then you open up quite easily and say, okay, I want to work on my inside in terms of libido and we help you there. But you normally come for more internal performance-driven stuff first, sleep, mood, energy, immune system. And then you're like, actually, I don't mind looking fresh. And what's great about men is they literally, you know, you're very compliant. So if I say this is all you need, you're like, cool, not a problem. Whereas women are so taught in society to be so hypercritical of themselves. That's why you're getting that distortion effect. Whereas you guys are confident because you guys value yourself on the performance outcomes that you produce in society, protector, provider, that kind of roles. Women, historically, have been valued on aesthetics. And that's the disparity between the two, which is now slowly co-crossing over. Well, I, well uh, the, reason I'm, the reason I ask you and the reason why I want to distill your knowledge on this podcast is because obviously you, you've looked after people in Hollywood, people in Bollywood, um, royal families, yeah. other stuff like that. So yeah. you're working at that level of the elite system. So yeah. you, you're at the elite tier of the game where you can, you can distill knowledge that people, that even if they cannot come to you to get it done, at least they can ask the right questions and, and 
be able to put themselves in the position where they go, well, hang on a minute, you're telling me to get my lips done, but have you seen that my I've got bags under my eyes or my sleep's not optimal or everything else? It's like, and this is the key, right? Exactly. So what it is, is fundamentally we have to undertake that consultation process and then we have to create that phased approach and we have to re-educate you. Exactly. First thing is eyes, next thing is teeth, third thing is shape of face. But even before I even go there, Frankie, I always say, and this is a funny quip I use, is, why would I put shit in your face if your cover is dirty? Forget fillers and all that. Let's give you the perfect canvas. Let's give you rosacea-free skin. Then maybe you're not going to look at your jawline or your chin or have you know worry about the size of your nose. If I've given you acne-free skin, pigment-free skin, maybe you don't need to wear 10 layers of makeup with eyelash extensions and stuff like that. Maybe you'll be so happy just to wake up in the morning, put some blush on and go. Or maybe as a man, you'd be like, you know what? I don't have the pores and the oiliness. That's enough for me. I'm good. I'm good to go. I'm not yeah. sweating as much anymore. Yeah, no, I like it. I think yeah. I, th- I just want people to be more comfortable that listen to this within themselves and actually have the right knowledge to be able to go and implement the, the, the stuff because I think that's essentially why. And I think you developing the tech so that people can, can do it at home and all that kind of stuff pushes people further. It pushes the boundaries. But I think... We keep saying women, women come in for the, the lips and the cheeks and stuff like that. But what about men? Yeah. Women are now, I, you don't see an unattractive person anymore, right? Because there's so much access. Not in this salon. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know it's not a salon. Experiential centre. <laughs> no, it's not a salon. Yeah. I was just testing you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. um, but actually, there's more pressure on men than there's ever been before. For you to keep your jobs, you need to look fresh. For you to be that, you know, for you to maintain your CEO position at 60 years old, you need to look fresh. You can't look tired. You need to perform better. So actually there's pressure on men as well as women. And yes, women are more aesthetically critical. But I have a rule that I don't treat you on the same day. Because I want you to think about what I've said internally and come back to me and see if you agree. And if we don't agree, you can take my treatment plan and you can give it to another practitioner, physician or doctor. So for me, I need to empower you with knowledge first so that you can tell 10 other friends that you don't dis- inject in the corners of your mouth because it distorts your anatomy. You'll never get it back again. Don't, is that, well, don't widen your jawline because on Instagram it might look nice, but in real life your face looks wide. Yeah. Don't make a pointy chin because you're not writing a book. You're not an author. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy and it's my job as a doctor to educate you. It's not your fault. For me, it's the practitioner, the physician, and the, it's that person who should be telling you, no, it's but not actually your fault. You've come in and you've seen something, and I'm sitting there going, well, actually, your best feature are your eyes, and your best feature is your bone structure, so why do you need this? Yeah, I think, I think getting the right um, structure around what gets done first if you're going to start doing things yeah. is kind of a, a key, and you, the only way to do that is to get an assessment. Look. Yeah. Not everyone that listens to this is going to be able to get access to you or someone like you, but are there are there are there some key questions that they should ask these practitioners that they go and see that yeah. they, that you can give them on this podcast so that when they do go and see any practitioner that isn't you that they they're, they're they've got the right question to ask. Firstly, is word of mouth referral is key. So you know if if you've seen a friend's work and you like it, that referral is key because you've seen the work. Secondly, qualifications. What qualifications do you have? How many years have you been practicing as a dermatologist? You know, we do facelifts, threadless, all of that kind of stuff. How many years have you been practicing? What are the after effects? 
what happens to that area afterwards in one year, in three years, and in seven years? So how does it age? Yeah. Where does it go? How do you metabolize it? Is it there permanently? What brand do you use? What is the evidence behind that brand? Is it, so, you know, I love using, I don't use, every day there's a new filler, I won't use it. I want evidence-based brands. Because if something goes wrong in your biometabolism and you have inflammational effects or side effects from it, there's not enough evidence there, right? And then where is the product actually being positioned? Does your physician practitioner understand that you're anatomically aging from the bone? Where are they they're called dermal fillers, but we don't inject under the skin. We inject on the periosteum, on the bone. So all we're doing is tightening you and contouring you. We're not volumizing you. And don't chase symmetry. There's no such thing as symmetry. And pick one feature. Either pick bone structure or pick lips. Either pick cheekbones or pick lips. Either pick fresh eyes. Pick one best feature. Don't try and pick it all because then it goes wrong. That's when what you described happens. And then also work on the disparity between your weakest feature and your strongest feature and start bringing them together. I love that. That is, like, that is succinct. That is succinct. No, I appreciate you, you distilling this wisdom. I, uh, I, I want to kind of get uh, a little bit of an insight into you before we, before we leave this podcast today. I want to kind of get an insight into what you're looking to achieve over the next 12 months, 16 months in your entrepreneurial journey and how you're looking to evolve yourself and kind of what things you, you kind of feel like you need to improve upon to get yourself to that level. I just want a hug. <laughs> I just need a hug. Um, I think I've learned through my entrepreneurial journey, I think I've learned to be self a lot less self-critical of myself and exactly what you said you know you've got these people that set these boundaries and these goals and stuff like that I think I've learned to enjoy the journey and I've also learned that even the end point predicted on a business plan may be there but we're going to end up there and that's okay I also believe in God's plan so as much as I might want to go there I believe in an element of fate karma gismet higher energy, higher force will get me somewhere where I need to go. Good people will get you to good places. I love being surrounded by my patients. They teach me so much, like I said before. I love being surrounded by serial entrepreneurs. I love failing because I learn so much from it. I've learned to be a better leader as well. I love watching, evolving my team, and even if they leave me to go somewhere else, that's okay. I love the fact that some of them open businesses after working for me because we train them so well and that's good I'm proud of myself so for me I've stopped focusing on the destination I've just said I've gone back to the basics of what my mom and dad taught me when I was that tiny child is if they can do it why can't you I love that and if there's one piece of golden wisdom that you can impart and leave on this audience to take on one percent one percent further in their life today from today what would it be resilience I think emotional resilience is key I think yes IQ helps and stuff like that but EQ is an underrated factor and there you have it guys that is Dr Valley and thank you so much for coming on here and distilling that wisdom and imparting all that knowledge on how to hack your body get get better information for a start and and, and analyze themselves and see where they're at more and so much in that i want you to listen to that podcast twice guys because i think there's so much in that especially if you're thinking about going and getting any procedures done before you do that have a look at what's going inside inside your body see if it can be biohacked and then when you're talking about the features that you want to improve 
actually ask yourself, is that the main feature that needs improving before we start? You know, I think that's kind of, that's kind of what I picked up from this episode. And, and I hope you guys loved it. Hit that like, hit subscribe, leave us a review on Apple and all that and, and Spotify. Much love and thank you again for coming on here. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next. Yeah.